This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, and we have put together a special, very timely episode about how to save your summer and yourself from annoying insects. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. Nothing can ruin a hike or a camp out faster than mosquitoes, black flies, and ticks. You might say they can be a real fly in the ointment. Mmm, okay. (laughs) We've found five different types of products that will help protect you and your loved ones, and we'll have those pests dropping like flies. So it's got to be like that, is it? (laughs) Okay, so folks, coming up, we'll be talking about our experiences with these products, and we'll add in two mailbag questions from previous episodes that relate to this subject. That's right. Thanks for joining us today as we offer up some solutions for what's bugging you and us. Okay, summer is in full swing, Karen, and with all the wonderful things about summer comes a huge negative, which is bugs, right? insects, and this has been a particularly bad tick and mosquito season so far, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, it seems like that is what everyone is talking about on social media, and we don't ever remember experiencing this many bugs before. Uh, And we've gotten a lot of messages asking for recommendations regarding insect protection. So we thought it might be fun. Well, maybe fun's not the word. I don't know that you could ever call um, ticks, black flies, and mosquitoes fun. But certainly an important episode to just share some information about some of these products that we found that we really like. Yeah, we found a few things that work. Mm Mm-hmm. We we have. Yeah. Uh, But let's talk about for a second why they're so bad this summer. I was reading that I think a lot of people know that mosquitoes thrive in hot and humid conditions. And I was reading that because this season has been particularly hot across the country, that the mosquitoes are thriving. So it's a good summer for mosquitoes. Yes. And uh, ticks also, I think, are, are having kind of a field day this summer, too. Yes, I see you have a report here that shows that the number of annual mosquito days has increased. So a mosquito day is defined as days with an average relative humidity of 42% or higher and temperatures of 50 to 95 degrees Fahrenheit. And it has increased since 1979 by more than 70%. In in most U.S. locations. That's right. All across the country. And those mosquito days that you talked about, it kind of sounds like it's a festival. but It's It's a mosquito festival. It's it's a mosquito fest. Yeah. And they're not just an annoyance. They, ticks and mosquitoes, they carry viruses and diseases, don't they? Well, they do. And it can really become a health issue if you are bitten by one of these um, insects that are carrying uh, a virus or a disease. For instance, mosquitoes can spread the West Nile and the Zika virus, also malaria and dengue. Yeah, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they recently issued an alert uh, about the first locally acquired cases of malaria in the United States, the first ones in 20 years. And this happened in 
Florida and Texas. Right. So that's very worrisome. And of course, ticks, you know, there are tick-borne diseases that are becoming an increasing problem in the United States. There is um, Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And I did read that between 2014 and 2018, more than 200,000 cases of tick-borne diseases were reported in the United States. Wow. I know. Okay, Karen, so for the seven listeners that are still with us, <laughs> do you want to tell them about when tick season is? Yes. Well, you know what? Tick season is a lot longer than you and I had ever thought. Um, not that we're tick experts. We, we actually... <laughs> wait, wait. We're not tick experts? I know. That's shocking. I'll have to change my resume because I have tick expert on my professional resume. I'll remove that. Thank you for letting me know. Well, maybe after this episode, you know, you you could call yourself more of a tick expert. I used to think that they, they hatched and they came out in the spring and then, boy, that first summer heat killed them off. And that is actually not true. Okay, so what what does happen? <laughs> well, they're active whenever it's above freezing, and they are active in the spring, summer, and early fall. And of course, it depends on where you live in the country, but ticks can be an issue for a huge part of the year, not just, not just spring, as we previously thought. Okay, so regardless of the time of year, we're going to talk about five products today that you can use any time of the year, to help you uh, manage the insect problems. We're going to talk about head nets, uh, pacaridin, DEET, permethrin, and th- this is a product that you use on your clothes, and a thermocell, which is something that you use for the, the environment, the little the area that you're in. That's right. So basically, we're covering a lot of bases, you know, a way to protect your head, a lotion you spray on your skin, spray that you put on your clothes, and something that you can use for the air that is surrounding you. So a little bit of everything here. And we do want to say, too, before we go any further, that these are not sponsored products, and we do not get paid for mentioning them and talking about them. That's right. We've used all these. They've worked for us. So we're just sharing this information. Right. Now, before we play our first mailbag segment, and this this one's going to be from episode 51, How to Prevent tick bites and what to do if you find one attached to your body. We wanted to talk about how a tick might attach itself to your body. Right. <laughs> well, actually we actually we don't want to talk about this. <laughs> Karen, you want to talk about this. I I am going to not listen so I don't <laughs> Have nightmares. And uh, could you explain it to everyone while I go get another cup of coffee? All right. You know, we really have learned a lot about ticks just doing the research for this episode. And one thing that I did learn is that ticks can't fly or jump. I thought they were jumpers. I thought they were jumpers too. Uh huh. But now I'm going to go get another cup of coffee. (laughs) All right. And in the meantime, I will let everyone know that this is kind of what happens in the great outdoors in the wild. So a tick will climb to the top of a plant or a blade of grass or a tree branch, and he or she (laughs) is searching for a host. And this host-seeking behavior is called questing. I didn't know there was a word for it. Did you? I'm not. Okay. (laughs) You're not here. (laughs) 
listen to all the details. Okay. So the tick holds onto the plant with its third and fourth pair of legs, and it stretches out its first pair of legs just waiting for an, an animal to approach. What's it doing with its second pair of legs? <laughs> it's got third and fourth holding onto the piece of grass. First pair getting ready to grab something. Second pair is just hanging out. I thought you were going to get a cup of coffee. (laughs) I don't have that information for you. Now, ticks can feed on mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and of course, humans. So with the slightest brush, a tick can grab on and it instinctively crawls upwards towards the host's head and ears. It's looking for thinner skin. I didn't know that either. Now, Matt, did you know, this is really fascinating. Did you know that a tick also secretes a numbing agent within its saliva that helps its bite go undetected? I did know that, yeah. You did? I didn't know that. And that's one of the reasons why when you're bitten by a tick, you don't feel that, you don't feel the bite. Yeah, they're crafty. They are very crafty. So an adult tick can remain attached to you feeding for a week to 10 days. Once it's full, the tick releases its hold and it's and it drops off its host. And then soon, it will again climb to the top of another plant to resume its questing. Wow. <laughs> there you go. More information yeah. than anyone wanted to know about a right. tick. <laughs> we are now down to three listeners. Okay. Thank you for the three of you who are still listening. <laughs> All right. So we are going to play this uh, tick segment from one of our mailbag episodes where a listener is wondering how to prevent ticks and also what to do if you find one attached to your body. Well, on this next question... It's also about wildlife, but much smaller wildlife, (laughs) (laughs) but just as bothersome as bears. (laughs) Yes. So this question is from Natalie in Eugene, Oregon, and she wrote, Dear Matt and Karen, I heard you mention on an earlier podcast about a tick incident. When we travel to the parks, I'm really afraid of getting ticks while I'm hiking. And I'm wondering if you have any advice about how you prevent tick bites And also what to do if I find a tick embedded in my skin. That's my worst nightmare. I get it. First of all, it's just a creepy factor, right? This little bug is going to burrow into your skin and basically suck your blood. Yeah. That's what's going on. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. And and we'll talk about the incident we had, which was in April. We were in Teddy Roosevelt National Park, which is in North Dakota. We went on a hike. Um, it was, I remember it was the Upper Talkington Trail, which was about eight miles round trip. Beautiful day. Yeah, we had a great day. We were tick naive. Oh, yeah. it didn't even enter our minds. Or tick ignorant, I yeah. guess is a better uh-huh. way yes. to describe it. We were uh, hiking in some kind of scrubby, brushy areas, and there were trees overhead. And we didn't realize what was happening to us at the time. Well, until... there was, yeah, yeah, there was a, a part of the trail. I think it was the, actually the furthest part of the trail from the trailhead. There were some trees. I think they were oak trees. We hiked underneath them, and I thought it was raining. And then I didn't think about it again for another hour or so. Well, when we were back in the car. When we were back, yeah, back in the car. <laughs> it wasn't rain. There were ticks falling out of the trees and hitting our backpacks and, and hats and, and stuff. So we get back in the truck. We had to drive. Actually, we were driving to South Dakota. You start driving because I was actually working, editing the book, and I had my laptop. 
and we get on the highway, mm-hmm. I was wearing long hiking pants and I could feel something crawling up my leg underneath the pants. And I kind of knew instantly what it was. And I thought, I'm going to discreetly get that tick off my leg and maybe throw it out the window so that you wouldn't know and (laughs) we wouldn't have an incident. Well, (laughs) that wasn't the only tick in the car. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. I didn't discover my ticks until I was on the highway going 75 miles an hour, and it is raining now at this point, and there's no place to pull off. And all of a sudden, I feel the back of my neck start to itch. And I, I reached back there, and of course, you know, there were like seven ticks on the back of my neck. And I remember what, was- I, what I told you. I don't know how I got them. I, I don't know if I grabbed them and threw them out the window or what, but I, I kept telling you, oh, yeah, no, I, I got the last one. There were a lot of them. Oh. We had we had a lot of ticks with us. I know. We just didn't know what to do at that point because there was literally no place to pull over. And if, if you could pull over, what are you going to do then? You're going to stand outside, I guess, and pick ticks off yourself? Yeah, yeah. But even though you had many ticks on you and you were itching all over and swerving from lane to lane. I was trying I, to get to South Dakota as fast as I could. I know. Um <laughs> I I was now concerned about the other cars uh, and, and as much as the ticks. But yeah, we, we ended up on this two-lane road heading south. There was this one part on this two-lane road where you're insistent to pass these cars. And I think we were even going up a hill. There's a line of cars. So you get into the passing lane and you pass the first car, like the the second one was maybe a truck and you're going like 85 miles an hour. And all of a sudden you hit the brakes <laughs> while you're passing the cars and you wait for them all to pass so that you can get back. I was like, what are you doing? I got up to the third one. And as I was going past it, I glanced over and it looked like an unmarked police car. And I thought, yeah. I, I, you know, he's going to pull me over for speeding. So then I, I kind of hit the brakes, but I was still in the other lane. And- so, so Becky, is is there really <laughs> any question as to why I do all the driving? <laughs> Itchy over here wants to pass all the cars going eighty five miles an hour, going up a hill. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But no. but but we survived, and we got to our hotel room in Rapid City. Ran up there, took showers, and there were, at that point, there were a few ticks still left. We stuffed our clothes into trash bags and put them in the car. But let's talk specifically, because we have some information for you besides just telling you our story. Just being goofy. All right. Yeah. So I looked up on the website for the CDC. If you get a tick embedded in your skin, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to use a tweezers to grasp the tick as close to your skin as possible. And then you pull steadily. You pull them out. You don't twist it or turn your tweezers because according to the website, this can cause the tick's mouth parts, mouth parts to break off in your skin. All right, we just lost all the listeners. <laughs> I'm like, what, I'm reading what, this what going, you, the mouth parts are yeah, in your the, skin. And then it goes on okay, to I'm say, have nightmares. <laughs> it says, if this happens, remove the mouth parts with the tweezers. Uh, what? Yeah, we're never hiking in April ever again. What does the mouth part of a tick look like? I, I, don't, I don't even get that. But the point is you need to get it out quickly. And they also said that the old folklore, the old wives' tales don't work. So, 
you know, I think people say paint fingernail polish on the tick. Don't do that. Put Vaseline on a tick. Don't do that. Put your hair dryer up the tick and put heat on them. Don't do any of that. Yank them out with the tweezers. And then where do you put them? You put them in the in the toilet. That's you right. You put them, them in the, the toilet. toilet. That's the best thing to do. Of course, if you're in the wild and there is no toilet. Then, then you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Because if you throw them away, they'll they'll chase you down. They can run faster than a human being. They can run faster than bears. I would put them in my peanut butter and jelly sandwich baggie, personally. It did say you could wrap them in tape, so that would be a use for your duct tape. But the other part of your question, Natalie, um, how to prevent them. One thing the website said and something that we do is wear long pants, wear long sleeves, and wear long socks with your hiking boots. Try to keep covered as much as you can if you're worried about ticks. Uh, The other thing the CDC mentioned, too, is... Of course, you can also use insect repellents on your skin. You know, there's a host of them, everything from 100% DEET to lemon eucalyptus oil. You can try any of those. I think some help more than others. Yeah, Um, I'd go with the 100% DEET. mm -hmm. Yeah, I would too. Anyway, Natalie, I hope that helps. We rarely have run into ticks besides that one big tick. Well, we kind of know what to look for and and know how to prevent them. Yeah. And as soon as you get done hiking, check yourself. uh, Check the people you're hiking with. You know, do a tick check. Check the driver Mm -hmm. before the driver (laughs) goes barreling down the highway. Okay, so we are back, and we mentioned that if you're bitten by a tick, you should remove it quickly. And that's because, in general, ticks need to be attached for 36 to 48 hours before they can transmit Lyme disease bacteria. So if you get them quickly, you're going to be in better shape, at least in terms of, of getting something from the tick. Right. So I feel like that's a little piece of good news in in this bad case scenario, because I know a lot of people, including myself, freak out when they're bitten by a tick. But but again, you do have some time to get it off of you before it's going to transmit the Lyme disease bacteria. Yeah, at least a day, right? Right, right, and, and that's, for sure. that's a lot, a lot of time. It is a lot of time. Yeah. And as we said in the segment, you know, you want to check yourself right away and your loved ones that you're hiking with and just, you know, take care of it if it becomes an issue. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of lotions that you can put on your skin to, to help prevent this from happening? Right. They prevent ticks and mosquitoes and other annoying insects. Now, in the segment, we did mention DEET. So I didn't know this until I looked it up, but DEET was developed by the U.S. Army back in 1946, and it's a synthetic chemical that provides one to six hours of protection against these insects, and it depends on its concentration. Yeah, you can get, and if you're going to look for insect repellent Look at the container. It usually will tell you either like in bold in the marketing words or in the active ingredient section, the percentage of DEET in the lotion. Right. And we've seen them anywhere from 20% to 100%. But here's something interesting. You don't need to buy the 100% DEET. Research shows that the concentration of the active ingredient has an impact on how long this will last, not on how well it works. So 
Products containing 25 to 30% DEET typically provide at least a couple of hours of protection. So I guess what I'm saying is it depends on how long you're going to be outside. If you're going for a a hike for a couple of hours, the 25 to 35% DEET is going to be great. If you are on a backpacking trip, you probably want to go with the 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I did not know that. Now, one one thing about DEET too, I think people are worried about um, health effects of DEET. I know, I know, I am because um, because the army developed it in 1946. And <laughs> well, and because we saw how it melted our binoculars. Oh, it does. It does melt rubber. I, I can tell you that. Right now, I read that DEET has been used by hundreds of millions of people, including an estimated 30 percent of the U.S. population every year. And tests have shown that when it's applied properly it has virtually no adverse health effects. Uh, The EPA has completed several studies of DEET over the years, and they concluded that um, it doesn't present a health concern as long as consumers follow the label directions correctly. That's right. Don't spray it on your binoculars. Right. (laughs) Or anything else with rubber. (laughs) Right. And I do want to bring that up because the couple of drawbacks that people mention is one, it does have an odor and some people think it's an unpleasant odor. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, obviously something if you spray it all over your skin and now you're hiking with that on you for hours. Yeah, that, that can be unpleasant. And as we mentioned, it can dissolve certain plastics and some synthetic materials, including rayon, spandex and vinyl. It's a particular hazard for sunglasses and binoculars. So just be careful um, if you are are using either of those. So if you're wearing spandex and I'm spraying DEET on you, that's not a good thing. It's not. And I like to hike in leggings, which I have spandex. So we could do an experiment (laughs) to see how long it takes DEET to (laughs) dissolve your leggings. I we should do that next time we go for a hike. <laughs> you know, actually, we don't need to do that. And this is a good segue into our next product, because after we recorded that particular mailbag episode, we found a different bug lotion, and it contains the active ingredient picaridin. Yeah. Now, this one, this one was created by Bayer in the 1980s, and it's a synthetic compound developed from plant extract. So it has a uh, maybe a more natural ingredient in it? Well, yeah, it's developed from the um, piper plant. And that's the same plant that produces table pepper. So that kind of makes sense, right? You would think pepper might be um, a deterrent to bugs. You got a lot of (laughs) mosquitoes sneezing around you and they can't they can't bite you. Picaridin has been available since 1998 in Europe and Australia, where it's the best-selling insect repellent, but it wasn't approved for sale in the United States until 2005. And of course, like with DEET, the EPA has concluded that with normal use of picaridin, it doesn't present a health concern. That's right. And we like the brand Sawyer. That's the one that we use. So we recently used it. I sprayed it all over last week. We hiked to Tolmy Peak Fire Lookout in Mount Rainier National Park. And I had been reading the trip reports on all trails, which, by the way, is a great resource. If you are wondering ahead of time how bad the bugs are going to be on any given hike, 
look up on all trails and read the trip reports and, and people will let you know. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the first things they'll mention. If, yes. If the bugs are bad, they'll mention it. Absolutely. So we sprayed ourselves with our um, picaridin. And I have to say, we did not get a single bite. We could see them buzzing around us. We've had this happen a, a few times with the picaridin. We put it on our skin. They still hover, but they don't land and they don't bite. So just if you you think, well, maybe it's not working because they're still kind of, you know, messing with you. But I've noticed they, they don't land. And of course, then they, they, they don't bite you either. So a lot of places sell these products. Um, I usually order it on Amazon just because it's convenient. But you can find, uh, you know, you can find products containing DEET or Picaridin, pretty much uh, any outdoor store, retailer, things like that. Yeah. So another thing, Karen, that you can use is it doesn't involve chemicals. You can wear a head net. Of course, now this is only protecting your head, so it's not protecting your arms or you know any other parts of your body. In our early days, we thought this was kind of silly. Well, I did. <laughs> but when you need a head net, you really need one. That's right. Our first time wearing head nets was about 12 years ago. Uh, one of our first trips to Alaska, we were in Denali National Park, and we were staying at the Denali Backcountry Lodge, which is a very cool lodge at the very end of the Denali Park Road. And we had gone for a hike. I remember it was drizzling. We had our raincoats on. And there was a certain point in the hike when all of a sudden, like 10,000 mosquitoes just appeared all at the same time. Yeah, they can really be bad in Alaska. Because there's there's so much moisture around Alaska, and then in the summertime they just they're just everywhere. So uh, we were fortunate then that the lodge that we were staying at had a bunch of head nets laying around. They were actually the kind that were attached to a broad brim hat so that they would hang away from your skin. And so we had grabbed a couple of those. Uh, it took them with us on our hike. And I remember you saying, like, I'm never going to wear that, even in <laughs> on a remote hike in Alaska with no one else around. But, but you did. I did, because these mosquitoes were literally biting through our raincoats. I mean, the mosquitoes in Alaska are like on steroids. You've never seen anything like it until you experience that. Um, but after that, we decided we needed our own head nets. And, you know, they're very inexpensive and very lightweight. It's just a good thing to have in your backpack. And so I do recall... Uh, going shopping at REI for some things, <laughs> and you decided we we needed some head nets. We did. I thought um, I thought it was appropriate, Karen, that uh, we try them out in the store, and uh, you know, any any time that I have an opportunity to embarrass you, <laughs> I, I take that opportunity. So I was I was trying on the head nets and wearing them around the store. You are acting like you didn't know me. Which is what I do best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of practice in that as you came up to me wearing this head net. Anyway, it was a, one of the best purchases we have made. I literally, I think I've weighed them because I weigh everything that goes in our backpacks. I think our head nets weigh 1.5 ounces. So they go in the backpack. They never come out. It's kind of like our uh, headlamps, mm -hmm. which we never take out. So 1.5 ounces of extra weight is nothing. Always have those in your backpack. 
Yes, definitely. So we're going to play our second clip now. And this is um, a clip from Mailbag episode number 44, where a listener asks us if headnets really do work. Our next question comes from Kim and Chad in Ohio, and their question is, we visit a lot of national parks and we often choose our visits at or after Labor Day weekend because the mosquito slash bug levels are reportedly lower at this time. We love to do long day hikes and backpacking and feel that hours and hours of mosquitoes surrounding us would ruin the experience. You've discussed the use of mosquito nets multiple times. But do they truly make the mosquito invasion tolerable? How much do mosquito slash bug levels affect your hiking choices? That's a good question. Yeah, you'd, you would hate to think that you're making choices about uh, trails and when you're going based on bugs. Although, you know, it is it is a factor. And when the bugs are bad, it, it can ruin a hike. We should mention that there is a difference between mosquitoes and black flies. So in the Pacific Northwest... We have a lot of black flies, and when we talk about the bugs being bad, sometimes if we don't specify it on on the episode, we might be talking about black flies, and those are that's a different deal than mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They still bite, and their bites leave welts, but they don't seem as aggressive as mosquitoes. Mosquitoes seem to. They'll bite you right through your clothes. Yes. And I don't think black flies do that. They're just annoying in swarms. So for us, we wait all year until July, until the snow melts in the mountains here in the Pacific Northwest to hike. So we wait patiently till about the 4th of July. And then we have such a small window of time where we can hike in the mountains. Basically, we have July and August and some of September. We can't just sit and wait until September to hike. So we have to get out in July no matter what, no matter how bad the bugs are. Mosquito nets over your head help tremendously because they're not going in your eyes and your nose and your mouth. But you have to have a brim. So the way a mosquito net works is if it's laying against your skin, the mosquitoes can still bite you. And so that's that's something to know about a mosquito mm-hmm. net. Unless you buy one with a built-in brim, you, you need a hat with a brim. Yeah. I was probably the last person on the planet who thought they would ever wear a head net. I fought it for a while. But now I whip that thing out because it does make a huge difference. The other thing, too, is you're going to want to be wearing long sleeves and long pants you know, with your hiking boots and your socks, you're going to want to cover the rest of you because obviously the head net is only, you know, working around your face and your neck. And we do that even on hot, hot hikes because these days you can find outdoor clothes that are such thin fabrics that even though they're long pants and long sleeves, it looks like you're all covered up for wintertime, they're cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, like I said, though, mosquitoes often will bite right through those. Everyone has to decide what chemicals they want to use on their clothes and on their body. Mm -hmm. What we do, we use a product called Permethrin. It's a spray on. You spray your clothes. You saturate your clothes with it on a on a line outside and let them fully dry. And we will actually do this days before we go on a hike. And once that chemical's 
on your clothes, it does a really good job of keeping bugs away. It does a great job. And the other thing, too, if you're going to do that, you also want to make sure you spray your hat, you spray your backpack, and if you're going to be camping, you can spray your tent also. We douse everything in this, and it has made a huge difference in our lives. <laughs> it works pretty good. Yeah. And, and if for some reason you have forgotten to do that or we've forgotten to do that, um, I'll spray bug spray on my clothes, on my skin. I know that people have issues with DEET, and I understand that. But there are times when uh, the bugs are so thick that I just go ahead and spray the 100% DEET on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's almost a matter of of survival. you got to be careful with that because it does melt some kind of either plastic or rubber. I know that the eye cups on my binoculars melted when I had DEET on my mm-hmm. face and I was holding <laughs> them up to to my face. So you got to be careful with that. Yeah. Check out the permethrin because that is made for clothes. And, and like we said, we thought it was great. The bugs don't keep us from hiking in July, but they they do play a part in deciding if we're going to go camping and backpacking. Yeah, I will say, though, that we have had good luck with the permethrin when we've sprayed our tent. Mm -hmm. It's not like the bugs stay away from you, but I noticed that the one hike we did in the North Cascades when it was high vegetation, very wet, a lot of bugs, they still swarmed, but they never landed on us. Right. Uh, We never got bit. Those are some of our thoughts on insect protection. That's right. So I'd give it a chance and get yourself a head net. They're what, like about 10 bucks? (laughs) And they're super light. Wait, you can put them in a pack and and never take it out. Yeah. So thanks for the question and happy trails, guys. Okay, so we're back. And in that segment, we mentioned a product called Permethrin. And this is made by Sawyer. That's the manufacturer that, that makes the particular brand that we use. I think in the segment, we mispronounced it several times because that's what we do. <laughs> that's right. I'm sure you heard us call it permethrin, which is, is how we used to pronounce it. And after that segment aired, we got a very nice email from a gentleman who actually helped create this product. So it was fascinating to hear from him. And he politely told us that it is pronounced permethrin. So now everybody knows the the correct way to pronounce it, and so do we. But this particular product was recommended to us years ago when we were about to go backpacking in North Cascades National Park. We were picking up our permit from the ranger station, and we were going to be setting off the next day. And he told us the bugs are bad, and he recommended this product. So we went to the local outfitter. We had a chance to hang our clothes on the line and spray them. Now, the the product you spray on your clothes, it does break down over time. So both exposure to oxygen and sunlight, UV rays, uh, will break it down. But if you store your clothes in, let's say, plastic bags between uses, so it's not getting air and it's not getting sunlight, it can extend the effectiveness of that. That's right. They say that one application lasts for six weeks and through six washings. So that's pretty amazing. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've also used it on sleeping bags, tents, nettings, uh, especially tents. We have soaked the outside of our tent and, you know, it, and it works really well. It works amazingly well. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than you go on a backpacking trip, you set up your tent, there's bugs around. And you think, well, I'm just going to keep the tent closed so bugs aren't going to get in. But you're in and out of your tent enough 
that the bugs are coming in and and for this like cloud of permethrin to be around your tent and and keep them away that's really helpful and the other thing too that i didn't think about is spraying spraying your hiking boots. So I saw that there was a a University of Rhode Island study in 2017 that said, if you treat your shoes and socks with permethrin, it reduces the likelihood of a tick bite by 74 times. 74 times, not 74%. It says times. Yeah, that's... That's a lot. <laughs> so, so let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. It also says it's effective against more than 55 kinds of insects. Like chiggers and spiders and mites and things like that. Yes, yes. <laughs> that we're not going to talk about in detail. <laughs> right. You know, we found the easiest way. Uh, Matt just put up a clothesline rope, you know, attached it to our deck and to a tree. We hung our clothes up with clothespins. So what you do is you, you lightly moisten the fabric with like the slow sweeping motion. And you, the spray bottle's about six to eight inches away. And then you treat both sides of your garment for about 30 seconds per side. Um, and the, the key to this is the product then needs to dry completely. So this isn't something you would do, you know, 15 minutes before your hike. You're, right. you're going to want to do it the day before and give it a chance to dry. Right. We're soaking our clothes pretty well. Yes. And then you know, flipping them over, you know, if they're folded across the line, flipping them over, making sure we get both sides and then letting them completely dry. And I haven't noticed a lot of smell from it. So like once your clothes are back to being dry, you don't really know it's there. No, I I didn't notice a smell at all. Now, a 24-ounce bottle of Sawyer permethrin, I just looked this up on Amazon, um, it costs about $17.50-ish, and it treats five complete outfits. Maybe a little less if you're going to also, let's say, do your tent or your sleeping bag. Sure, absolutely. One note before we move on is I did read that um, this is highly toxic to cats when it's freshly applied. So when you are spraying your clothes, you want to make sure that your cat is not around. Um, I guess once it dries, it's not an issue. It's just the spray itself. Yeah, good good to note for yes. people who have cats. Right, right. Okay, so that is permethrin that you spray on your clothes or other items uh, that you wear or use. Uh, let's talk about a product that you can use um, just for the area you're in. Let's say you're backpacking, you're sitting around your tent in camp chairs, having dinner. How do you keep insects away from your little area there? Right. And this is called, this product is called the Thermosal Mosquito Repeller. And it comes in several different models, if you will. Now, the one we have is we have the Backpacker Mosquito Repeller, costs about $40. And this is interesting because it uses the heat that's generated by our little um, fuel container, right? Right. The way all of these systems work is there's a little pad with the chemical that keeps the bugs away. And when that pad warms up, it puts out, you know, enough of this in the air that it keeps the bugs away. And so you need a heat source. One of the heat sources can be that you screw this device onto a fuel canister like the ones you use for jet boil. So when you're backpacking, you already have these fuel canisters with you, Mm -hmm. and you can attach it to one of those, and it uses so little fuel that you you can run it for quite a while and, and not drain your canister. 
We first learned about this years ago when we backpacked in the enchantments here in Washington State and our friend Craig, who has pretty much every gadget known to mankind, he brought that along and set it up in the evenings as we're sitting out, you know, having dinner in our little camp chairs by the lake. And it did, it worked really well. You know, we have used in the past those uh, coils that you light, like incense coils, Mm -hmm. and it puts out some smoke, which I I don't particularly like doing, especially in the summertime, because it's kind of a fire hazard. Yeah, so we use this instead, and it seemed to work great. Yes, we have since bought one, and we have used it on several backpacking trips. Now, if you're not a backpacker, but you're still spending time outside, let's say you um, are traveling in your RV, or you are sitting in your backyard, or you're in an established campground, there's another one that is a rechargeable mosquito repeller. Um, This one also costs about $40. And then there's a second one that's just like this. It has a glow light. It costs about $50. And both of these um, have about a 20-foot zone of protection. Yeah, and and the mechanism is the same. Instead of using your fuel canister, it's just using the batteries in the device. It's heating up this little pad, and that's what's causing the uh, chemicals to go in the air and, and keep the insects away. Yeah, so kind of a nice thing to have when you're sitting outside to enjoy your evening without the swarms of bugs descending on you. Yeah, and uh, the battery-operated one, well, actually both of them, they're pretty light, so you could uh, they don't take up a lot of weight in your backpack. And they use a consumable pad. So if you take the repellent pad out of its little foil container, you use it, and when it gets heated up, then that, you throw that away. Yes. So if you're, you know, on a trip, you're going to make sure you take a few of those pads with you. That's right. You do have to continually buy these repellent refills. Right. Exactly. All right. So I think we covered all five, Matt. We did. So those... Those little ticks hanging on with their third and fourth pair of legs, ready to grab you with their first pair of legs. (laughs) They They should be very worried. They should be worried now. Go find some other hosts. Find some amphibians to bother because humans are going to have all these other things to, to protect them. Right. And everyone needs to obviously find what works for them. And I do think it's true that some people are plagued more often by bug bites than other people. I don't know what it is. I couldn't find any definitive research on why some mosquitoes seem to swarm to some people and not others. Um, But now, with all of this information that we just gave you, um, you can find some ways to protect yourself. Yeah. And if you use a head net permethrin for your clothes in your tent and the keratin on your skin i mean that's you're going to be in good shape that's a trifecta it's a trifecta here yeah (laughs) all right we hope this episode gives you some ideas about how to protect yourself while enjoying your summer Uh, we've been out enjoying ours and we'll be back with some regularly scheduled programming on august 10th that's right just around the corner there and in the meantime You can check out our library of episodes on our website, www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com. With more than 100 episodes on there, you'll probably find one about a park that you are heading to this summer. That's right. Mm -hmm.